Okay, well, hey, everybody. Uh, hello, Gunner. I'm here with Dan Walsh, and we're going to we're all excited about Summit coming up. So, uh, Dan, welcome to, back to the show. And what's going on at the Summit this year with you? Um, well, as usual, I have lots and lots of sessions I'm talking at. Um, there's actually a, a couple of really good uh, labs that we, we, we ran a lab last year that did um, really walk you through every step of running containers on, uh, say, Relatomic Host and things like that. It was really well received. And this year they've doubled it. So this, we're running two full sessions. Um, on, on it, and it's really hands-on. You actually sit there for an hour and a half and execute all the commands and see everything from scanning to launching containers to uh, signing containers, all, all yeah. the different features oh, wow. there. So and that's that's you and Bob Kazdemba? Yeah, okay. well, me and Bob are doing it. All right. I'm glad you pronounced his last name because I can't. <laughs> um, but anyways, so we're doing that, and then I have a couple of talks. I uh, have uh, the usual container security talk, uh, updates to that. Um, and then I have a, um, a, a talk where I talk about standards uh, um, uh, and talk about, um, I, I believe that there's been a little bit of a lack of innovation at the uh, low level of containers over the last uh, couple of years. And it's, uh, you know, most of the, most of the uh, innovations happening up at the orchestration level, up in you know, like Kubernetes and OpenShift. And I, I believe that one of the problems there is that we're locked into uh, always trying to get patches into this big monolithic daemon, um, either the Docker daemon or maybe other daemons, but um, instead of breaking apart the what it means to run a container. So, right. so if I want to run a container image on a machine, I believe that there's four key components to, to running a, a container. So the first thing is I have to basically define what a container is or a container image. Um, and luckily, there's, there's a standard that's been developing over the last few years called um, the OCI Image Bundle. Um, now, we're at release candidate six right now as of the speaking, and hopefully within another month, that'll be finally standardized. And that's critical to, to make sure that every container runtime or any you know, all container toolings end up with only one runtime, I mean, only one image format. We don't want what happened in you know, Linux world where you have Debian format and RPM format. So right. we want one standard format. The next thing you need in container world is the ability to move in uh, containers back and forth to container registries. There's been a big proliferation of different companies building container registries. So you have, obviously Docker.io is the big one, um, but like OpenShift has a registry, OpenShift registry. Then you have other companies like JFrog's Artifactory is very popular. And you have all the cloud um, vendors are all putting up their own registries. So there's a, a EC2 registry, there's a Google registry, there's Azure, I'm sure, has a registry. Um, and then individual vendors like Claire Linux. But everybody, everybody has a registry, a place to store these uh, OCI bundles. But what we need is sort of a de facto standard. We need a way to uh, define what it means to pull and push containers out of, out of uh, you know, these registries and pull them to your local machine or push them from your local machine up to the container registries. And we, again, we want to pull that out of the daemons so it's not always in the daemon. Um, the, next, the next one down is actually after I pull the image to the local machine, um, I need to store it on disk. So I need to basically take that image that standardized image and explode it on disk uh, or so I can start it, get access to it. So containers image, so we've actually opened up de facto standards. So we pulled some of the code out of, out of Docker and put them into 
separate tools. So if you go to github.com, uh, there's containers image, and then there's github.com container storage that allow you to, uh, containers image pulls and pu is a library to pull and push images from any container registry, and storage is a uh, mechanism for exploding those images onto different types of file systems. So we have copy on write file systems underneath, like you know, OpalAFS and Device Mapper and all those tools. So the last thing out of the four that you need to run container is actually to run the container. So I've got the, I got the standard image, I pulled it to my machine, I exploded it on disk, and now I want to launch a container. And OCI, the, the first version of OCI, Open Container Initiative, was to generate what's a specification of what it meant to run a container. Um, and then they also had the run C is the default implementation of running containers. And so that's pretty much been standardized uh, for the last couple of years and continues, I mean, that standard continues to evolve, but we've actually seen now, uh, you know, obviously run C can run containers, and run C is the thing that Docker runs underneath the covers. As of Docker 1.11, all Docker containers now run with run C as the mm -hmm. actual engine for running the containers. Um, but we see like Intel and HyperShell are all working on running containers inside a um, KVM and they're able to use the same OCI specification for what it means to run a container, except that they, instead of using namespaces and standard Linux containers, they're actually running the containers inside of a KVM environment off the same images. So there you get innovation. Um, so we've been working on pulling these key components out of the big demons, um, and then you know, our goal is to let people innovate at that level. And we're seeing innovation all over the place um, at that level. So containers image now is being used um, all over, you know, in, by different vendors. It's being used in IBM Cloud. It's being used inside of Pivotal, um, which you know, is interesting since they're a big competitor against OpenShift. But we're yeah. actually working together with the Pivotal guys to, to separate that out. We have a tool called Scopio that's a CLI tool that actually allows you to move images back and forth all based off of this tool. And, um, and then container storage, uh, since we, we want to pull the storage out of the daemons and, and allow, actually allow multiple tools to deal with containers at the same time. So you could have a container runtime using storage, but maybe you want to, say, mount the storage up just to run a scanner on it and mount it up outside of the container runtime. Uh, you might also want to uh, innovate uh, on the ability to build containers. So right. One of the sad facts of, of containers right now is that you know, three, three and a half years after the Docker revolution started, there's still only one way to build containers, that's Docker build. Um, and, and I believe part of that's just because we're tied to this demon. Yeah. And Docker builds, Docker, upstream Docker has uh, not taken any patches to repair and fix issues or change issues in Docker build for the last few years. Actually, the last couple of years, because I think they even believe that it's not the correct way or they're not the best way to do it. So we're going to be introducing at the summit a new package we call Builder, uh, which obviously has the named after my bad way of pronouncing. Uh, and so it's B U I L D A H. Oh, nice! And it's a core utilities package to allow you to uh, core utilities type package that allows you to do sort of the standard things that you do when building a container. So we have Builder from, which will pull down an image, put it somewhere. And you can do a build a mount to mount the image mm -hmm. onto a mount point. And once it's mounted on a mount point, you can just start using any any shell utility, any tooling, any anything to move content into the mount point. And then we have a build a commit, which actually will commit the image to, uh, you know, commit a layer of the image, and then you can use that to push it out to a container registry. So you could build, totally build container images 
uh, without using any daemon, so you don't need to use any daemon. Uh, it has all the features. It actually will handle Docker, Docker file, you know, uh, command line tools. It, it, it'll do that. But our goal is to make it totally flexible that anybody from, could write a shell script and actually build images based on just standard shell shell yeah. type commands. Um, so those are things that were innovated uh, on that. We'll also be demonstrating um, a thing called uh, Cryo came out last year. So uh, container, you know, what Cryo is is actually a, a container runtime for um, for uh, Kubernetes use cases. So our goal with Cryo is to experiment on um, building a container runtime that is totally optimized for running Kubernetes. So it's, it's something different than the Docker daemon. It's not a fork of the Docker daemon, but it's a uh, an implementation of a way you could run containers under Kubernetes um, that is um, just based on Kubernetes needs. And it actually takes advantage of all four of the features. Um, so we did talk about that and demonstrated it. And, and we're actually, right now you can start playing with uh, CRIO inside of Fedora Rawhide. So it's brand new technology. Um, but we're getting close to the point where we can start running OpenShift workloads on top of it. So there's a, lots of lots of experiments and lots of, of features of, of uh, containers. Um, and then obviously there's lots of other sessions and booth duty and lots of, um, uh, as usual, I get stuck in the uh, business lab talking to a lot of customers yeah, and stuff. Yeah. But, but it should be fun. And, you know, there's a... A big uh, Fenway Park event. That's what I was going to say. I'm sure you're excited yeah, about yeah, the, yeah. Uh, having a, uh, the reception at the baseball game. Yeah, I think yeah. about four years ago they did it at Fenway, and uh, that was the best best summit party I've ever been to. It, yeah. was, it was just awesome. to, to You can actually go down to uh, that that one. You were able to go down to home plate and actually uh, act like you get a, a picture. baseball player. Get your but picture. now it's not because yeah. there's a game going There's on. actually going to be a game, yeah. so I don't even know how that's going to work. I don't yeah. know how we, you know, uh, It'll be interesting to see uh, how, how this one's different. A lot, uh, yeah, four years ago when they did it, uh, I think it was four years ago, it was the, the stadium was empty. It was just us. And, yeah. Uh, but it should be fun, and the Red Sox look pretty good. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it should be a good time. Yeah, yeah. So going back to, you know, it's interesting about how, like, breaking the uh, containers into those uh, four components, it, it does sound like that allows... Um, a lot of innovation to happen independently, right. like like the storage part, where um, you know, the, like you may be an expert in containers, but you may not have people on staff that are like mega deep when it comes to storage. Right. And this allows people like NetApp or EMC to come and contribute. And it reminds me a lot of like OpenStack, right? right. How it's all modular. Right. So if you look at if you look at what people have been having to do for the last few years, they've been contributing just to the Docker project for containers. Yeah. And that, that becomes a sort of a barrier to entry in that if you are a storage expert and you just suddenly decide to, I want to contribute to the Docker project, uh, how, do I, how do I get my storage um, ideas so that someone uh, from the Docker project would understand it? And of course, the Docker project guys are coming in with a totally different perspective. They're looking at um, how you know, just looking at it from a containers and, and handling, you know, containers point of view. And yeah, you have expertise in storage. So breaking out the storage part would mean that the sort of the experts in uh, container world that deal with storage would be people you're talking to. So you could take someone from that app, EMC, or even Red Hat, our kernel engineering right. people with storage. Right. I, well, yeah. getting up, uh, yeah, getting Gluster and Ceph's and NFS expertise to actually look at. 
Uh, one of the things that, uh, I always laugh about is this, uh, there's always a push to shrink the size of container images. Right? Yeah. So, it's a symbol of pride. It reminds right. me of what twenty years ago, who yeah. who could have the smallest Linux install, and that, it's like that right. again, right? right? So yeah, it's all. I mean, as a matter of fact, there's an operating system that was developed just Alpine, just to, to make very very small uh, people pulling busy box images and things. Uh, but if you think about it, um, it you know, most containers, container runtimes are, are dealing with. You know, as we move to microservices, they're going to be dealing with lots and lots of images, and if you want to move to, you know, if, you store, if you're using storage in a microservices environment, you need to set up some kind of shared network storage. So yeah. if you have a container go down in one machine and you want that same container to come up in another machine, you have to have network, shared network storage. So we have the content, the volumes, the data that goes inside of the containers is being shut up in network storage. But what isn't set up in network storage right now is actually the, the root FSs of the containers. Yeah, so the, the way to mount it. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, the, um, so if we somehow figured out and, and I believe we can do this, is to get the images, the actual content that's running inside of the container onto network storage. Now all of a sudden we don't even have to deal with. So running a container on a brand new node becomes just run the container and it's you know it's, it's available via NFS or SFS or Gluster or some other tool, but it's instantaneously there. So yeah, instead all, of pulling down megabytes, right. especially if you're trying to do like bursty workloads where you're right. trying to scale up quickly. You Correct. need to have that happen quickly on different container hosts. Right. So yeah, then this this whole idea, I have to pull, you know, basically download megabytes or gigabytes of, of, of container images before the application gets to start. Uh, we've solved that problem. We solved that problem, you know, 30 years ago with the introduction of NFS, right? Yes. Or, you know, so we want to get to the point where images are just available via network storage. And you can pull them if you want, and there might be certain workloads where you actually have to have it lo locally or remotely. Um, but again, I think that the I think the innovation isn't happening at the storage level because it's tied to this huge, you know, container daemon, and, and the people that are main, maintaining the container daemons are, are looking at thousands and thousands of patches and, and trying to get patches, you know, these different types of patches in, as opposed to if we just break out container storage into its own. Uh, open source library, uh, which we have done, github.com uh, containers slash storage, all of a sudden we can innovate and just, just innovate at the storage level. Yeah, yeah. So as as we close up, let's, you know, I know Gunner is always, you know, the you know the operating system matters, of course, right. is, is him being the, the RHEL uh, director for product management. So how important is it of the, of the coupling of the container operating system with the container host? Right. I was, I was at, actually I was in Israel last week talking to lots and lots of customers, and that that question came up all the time because everybody believes in the container myth. Yeah. So the container it goes myth goes everywhere. Right. Yeah. The container myth means that says that uh, you can run any container workload on any uh, container runtime, and, and it's just going to work. Yeah. Like yeah. virtualization. Right. right? People well, extrapolate. Yeah. That. Except yeah. that the, I mean, so the virtualization actually somewhat works. Um, but virtualization is at a to totally different level of integration with the operating system. So in a virtualization world, uh, you know, KVM virtualization, you have a very small interface into the host kernel, that's the KVM module driver, um, to your container, or to your operating system. So you're talking just to a very small part of the host kernel, and that's really controlled. In a in a container environment, you have pretty much the full interface with the kernel. So um, when the 
security talks I give, I talk about the syscalls of the Linux kernel, and, and this on x86-64 machine, there's actually 650 syscalls. So those syscalls are going to vary depending on which kernel you're going to do. Well, but, it, it could yeah. be the same version, but just di different build flags right. too, right? So, the, yeah, the, so that's actually another thing to think about is, is kernels. Um, you know, every, the kernels are all pretty much based off of the same, you know, uh, Linus Tavalis's upstream kernel. But every single distribution, everybody that builds a kernel picks out which parts of the kernel they want to turn on and which they, which they don't. Things like scheduling algorithms and different performance characteristics and different ways of handling memory. So there's thousands and thousands of options. And if you look at, say, an Ubuntu kernel versus a RHEL kernel versus a, a SUSE kernel, they're all going to be configured very differently. So now if I start to run my different workloads inside of the containers. Say I'm running a RHEL uh, user space on top of a Ubuntu kernel, who's going to support that? And how do I do performance? If, if my workload doesn't run perform well on the Ubuntu kernel, is it Canonical's fault or is it Red Hat's fault? Yeah. You know, and, and so you end up with these whole support nightmares. Now, a lot of companies are running out there and saying they're going to support, you know, they can support anything, right? They, and, and in my opinion, they're just lying. Because <laughs> support to me means that I can make a fix yeah. in either component of, of the runtime. I can make a fix in user space and I can make a fix in the kernel. And if I am not the owner of the kernel and I'm not the owner of the user space, then I can't support both, right? Yeah. So I can't make modifications. I can't cause modifications to happen um, in that. So, uh, you know, in, in workloads where you have, say, you know, a RHEL kernel and an Ubuntu user space, and you call up RHEL and you say, hey, I'm having problems with this Ubuntu uh, operating system, and uh, you know we're you know there's a real high likelihood that Red Hat's going to say it's Ubuntu's problem, and then if they call up Canonical and uh, and Canonical's going to say it's you know this is a a rel kernel problem, and you know how do you how do you deal with that? Yeah. So I think I think your know, containers allow you to uh, the big advantage of containers is able to package all your software into a single unit and distribute it around. But yeah. if you want to get true support, you have to make sure that the host operating system and, and that the company that's supporting you controls the host operating system as well as the container, yeah. uh, the container runtime or what's, what, I mean, what's inside your container image. Um, otherwise, otherwise, you're just lying to yourself you know, if, you, yeah. if you believe that you know, someone can support it. And the nice thing there, from my point of view, is Red Hat, you know, we have the entire uh, container ecosystem covered. We have our own obviously the rel kernel we have our container runtimes based on rel we have container image content that can go in it then we have orchestration level so as you move to microservices you can you know we use kubernetes and openshift for managing that we have the security mechanisms authorization built into openshift and even getting up to a higher level you have openstack and and cloud form so if i want to run a true microservices environment i want my nodes coming up containers moving around to different nodes and, and you really need a company that can cover the entire gamut. So to, if you want to get true support for this type of environment, you need a company that can cover every area of it. And that's Red Hat is incredibly well positioned to to attack that market. Yeah, and especially like if we look at the the it's a similar challenge with the public cloud providers that provide container services on their right. cloud platform. If you're running a RHEL container or a Debian container on top of theirs, and you don't know what's underneath, and you know, right. can they? change rel uh, to fix a problem they yeah. don't have that control but the the good news though is it 
like OpenShift can be that thing that stays the same, so everything above it and below it can be different. So people could um, run raw containers on top of OpenShift on-prem or in yeah. virtual environment or in a, in a public cloud on any of the cloud providers that are certified. Um, and but if it does break, you know we will support that. And then we also have from the 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 guest operating system on on the container host relationship back with the the cloud vendors to if things break there we we do have those agreements where we could work together right. so that sounds like the right way to go yeah i think I, I think that's great and obviously you can also run rel kernels and rel operating systems in in, in the cloud yeah um, but one thing i'd like to say about the cloud the cloud is, is great getting into it and this came up uh, when i was talking to customers last week they wanted to know all about you know what features of the cloud they should use and i, I always try to tell them just use base commodity yeah commodity stuff because um, I call it the Hansel and Gretel effect where where all of the uh, cloud vendors are trying to give you little pieces of candy to drag you into their their uh, layers and once you start to use some of these you know proprietary I don't know if proprietary is the right word but basically um, features that are only available in a certain cloud then two three years from now when you tried to get out of the cloud and run these applications in other people's clouds you find yourself locked in yeah so red hat's always been about preventing lock-in and, and breaking both the lock-in of say traditional operating systems now using something like openshift or kubernetes is allows you to break out of that to, to allow you to run uh, say in the cloud or in azure's cloud or google cloud or amazon cloud and run on local, say on top of OpenStack or anything else, so you can actually move your workloads around. But in order to do that, you have to make sure you don't plug into uh, anybody's uh, specific tooling. So, right. you know, so like Lambda on Amazon, I'd be very leery of, of, of dealing directly um, with that, and sort of rely on that. And lastly, about Red Hat, you know, the real nice thing again, I tell my customers when we talk about lock-in is. Uh, with Red Hat, you know, we can't lock you in because if you if our services are not good or you know you can't, you can go and just move to CentOS or you can move up to anybody else's is uh, Linux as long as they're based on top of Kubernetes. So moving moving in and out of our workloads, you could you know, you know so we have to provide services to make sure and value you know, value right. value. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, you can say, well, we're going to stop paying you and we'll just start using um, you know other open versions of of our software. So. Um, so that, to me, keeps us on our toes and, and keeps us um, providing services to uh, trying to do as good a service as we can and good a support as we can for our customers. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool, Dan. This is great. I, I'm really excited. I'm pumped about Summit. So if people wanted to uh, uh, get the show notes and, and uh, read more about what we were yeah. talking about, where, where should we send them? You obviously go to my homepage, which is dgshow.org. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I think it's D, D as in Dave and G as in Gunner. Right. Show.org. That's right. Very good. Yeah. All right. Looking forward to hearing more of your podcast and looking forward to seeing all the customers and uh, friends at the Red Hat Summit in a few weeks. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Dan. And thanks, everybody, for listening. 